Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest episode of the Fox Nomad podcast. I'm your host, Fox Nomad, Anil Polat. How are you doing? Welcome to the episode. This is the 24th episode of the Fox Nomad podcast. So let's get into the tech season, which we're really deep into, and a little bit of travel news as well. So we're going to talk a little bit about cameras getting small, like really, really small, and increasing their quality as well. This is If you are a photographer, videographer, if you love cameras, this is really the season for you, and there's a lot going on. The second thing I want to talk about is Apple and all of the things that they've been doing lately, which have been surprising not only me, but a whole bunch of other people. So Apple is really diversifying in a way that I don't think a lot of us predicted, uh, you know, a couple years ago, which is really good, really good for the consumer. But like with the cameras and like with these surprising moves by Apple, there are some major trade-offs that are also happening, which just sort of a weird, weird time for them to be making the trade-off. Anyway, I'll talk a little bit about that and about what Apple's doing. And how would you like to win $50,000 to travel for six months? I will tell you how you can enter to do just that. So make sure that you listen all the way to the end of the podcast. But if you are listening right now, go ahead and give the podcast. <laughs> go ahead. See, I don't edit the podcast. Go ahead and give the Fox Nomad podcast five stars on wherever you're listening to this, whether it's Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, wherever. Just go ahead and maybe even leave a couple of kind words about how much you like this podcast. It really helps to get the word out. So um, I really appreciate that. I appreciate all of you listening. Uh, I've got a couple of things that have been happening on the site recently that I just want to cover just to make you aware of it. How nice am I? All right. So looking over and um, let's see what we've got. So like I said last time, I'm not quite in a new studio space yet, but I will be hopefully next time. I might have some video. Got Whoops. <laughs> just smashed something with my head. So I've got a couple of bonus episodes as well coming out over the next couple of weeks. Got a lot of interesting guests so make sure that you're subscribed to the podcast so you don't miss any of those. A couple of things that surprised me as to how popular they were. One is I reviewed a New Balance waste pack. It's called the Performance Waste Pack. I was really surprised at how many of you showed interest in that because it's such a simple concept. But I have been searching for a long time for something that I can put around my waist, but that's also going to hold the iPhone 11 size you know, smartphone one that's going to be light and slim, but still have a pocket for keys that I can keep separate from my phone so it doesn't scratch up my phone screen or the you know the back case or whatever. And then another pocket for cards. So you know I'm not going to take my whole entire wallet with me, but maybe for an ID or some cards. Anyway, the full review of that is up on YouTube. Make sure you give it a like as well and watch it there because a couple of people didn't like that video. I have no idea why. So... Um, a little bit about that uh, up on YouTube, Fox Nomad. Uh, I also reviewed a solar charger and talked about the state of solar chargers in 2020. So I got this tough tested uh, portable charger with a solar panel. I had met tough tested at CES in early 2020 before, you know, the world just totally completely changed. Um, so I got this solar portable charger, which I love when companies can integrate solar and stuff, I feel like it makes you more independent 
when you're traveling because you don't need to plug stuff in and and you know and so on. But there are some major limitations right now to the technology, especially when it comes to these portable chargers. Uh, so it's a little bit of a bust for most people. So when you think of solar panel portable charger, you know, instead of just a normal little battery brick, you probably have something in mind where you're traveling and you're at a cafe and you're just sitting on the balcony and watching the sunrise or whatever you're doing. And while you're eating breakfast, when the sun is up, you're going to put that out next to your coffee and then charge up your phone. doesn't quite work like that, unfortunately. But uh, if you want to see the full reason as to why and where solar needs to go for it to be practical, that's up on YouTube. And I just reviewed literally a couple of minutes before this. I just posted a video on the MetroSafe PackSafe, PackSafe MetroSafe LS450 anti-theft backpack. It is a backpack that has a lot of interesting security features and PackSafe has gotten a lot, a lot better at integrating security features into their backpacks because before they were bulky, they weren't really good backpacks and they just looked like armored vehicles. Maybe not really, but they were heavy and you could sort of feel the exo mesh that was in them that protects from slashing. Anyway, they've gotten a lot better at it. Uh, they've come out with a new sort of slimmer backpack, which is actually a really really good backpack. It's a really quality backpack, but uh, you got to decide whether or not those security features are worth the added price. So you can take a look at that up on YouTube. And as far as the overall cinematography of that video, that one came out kind of nice. <laughs> I'm kind of proud of that one. So uh, be sure to check that out. A lot of reviews coming up. Um, I'm working on a couple at the same time right now. So just Expect those. We've got a lot of new products I'm testing. We've got a couple of things related to... I can't mention the companies, but they're really, really, really big companies. And I think you're going to really enjoy those videos because they're probably going to save you a bunch of money or give you money. Anyway, enough hint dropping. Let's get into the first topic, which is cameras. All right, so this is camera season. I have been looking for a new camera. I have been looking for a camera that fits all the needs that I have, so I want to kind of upgrade. I, there's certain features that I want, but like with all things, I want the my things to be portable, you know? I I mean, I did, you know, before this pandemic, I did uh, I did a fair amount of traveling from time to time. So, I want things that are portable and powerful. It's sort of the mix that you look for. And when it comes to things like cameras, especially because lenses and sensor sizes, there are limitations into how small you can make those things. There are trade-offs that you make. Right now I'm using a Panasonic G85, which is a micro four-thirds sensor, which has a crop when you shoot in 4K. And, and basically what that means is, so the lens that I have on it, let's say if it's a 12 millimeter lens, when you factor in the micro four-thirds four sensor, then now that's a 24 millimeter lens, really. And then when you factor in the, the sensor crop that happens at 4K, now you're looking at a 30 millimeter. What all of that means is essentially that it's difficult for me, what's important are wide angle lenses because almost always I'm either shooting, you know, I'm shooting, doing product shots so I can get a little close to those, you know, I can just walk up to those. So I don't need a zoom a lot when I'm traveling and I'm making travel videos. A lot of times it's mostly me or other people that are actually in the video. So I want a really wide view and getting a wide view on a micro four thirds camera is very difficult. And 
the options that you do have, it's not totally impossible, but you have to get a very, 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 very wide angle. And what that means is you've got to spend a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of money to get that. And what that means, though, is you're spending a lot of money on a lens that's not going to have a very wide aperture, which means it's not going to bring in as much light as you can get on a different type of format. Uh, so you're spending a lot of money on a lens that gives you a wider angle, not the widest, but a wider angle. Uh, it doesn't have this great aperture, and aperture is used for light, so it's great for low-light shooting, which when traveling often comes in handy because you're often shooting at night. And some of the best things happen at night. There you go. So um, you want something with wide aperture. And I've been kind of limited, and I think a lot of travel bloggers and vloggers that you may follow are sort of in that camp. So they're either carrying very large cameras or very small cameras, finding something that's in between, that's powerful and that has the kind of lens, sort of the the, the lens ecosystem that you want is difficult. Um, so on the micro four thirds cameras, getting a very wide angle is very expensive and it almost doesn't justify the cost of the lens because you're getting now a very expensive lens for a camera that's not so expensive. and you know, you're you're sort of stuck in this place as to, am I really upgrading what needs to be upgraded? Can I use this money a little bit more wisely and maybe add that all around uh, to the different cameras? So hopefully that's made a little bit of sense. Where I'm at right now is I'm looking at full frame cameras, which means you've got a full frame sensor. Uh, in the most layman terms, I can put that in. It basically means a bigger sensor, so micro four thirds, full frame. That means if I get a lens that says it's 10 millimeters, it's going to be 10 millimeters. Now, there is an additional crop when you're shooting in 4K video, which I always shoot in 4K. But if if you think about it before, so right now I'm shooting on a 12 millimeter lens that after the four-thirds sensor and after the crop is a 30 millimeter equivalent. Now, for me to get something that would be a 24 millimeter equivalent or a 20 millimeter equivalent that would cost a couple thousand dollars on a on a micro four thirds lens. It's like a, we're looking at about you know 1,200 to 2,000 and up dollar range for a lens. Which lenses are expensive, but you're not getting I'm not getting that wide wide angle that I'm really looking for. So full frame has that advantage to where you get the lens and you're able to get this wider angle, and there are more lenses that are made for full-frame cameras. Problem is, is in the past, full-frame cameras have been very big, and the smaller that they've gotten, they get hotter. So the heat is a big issue on these cameras that have full-frame sensors. You've got this big sensor that's taking in all this data from video especially, and they tend to overheat, or they to get around that, they, they put in this 30-minute 4K uh, limit, recording limit, which for me is is just a hard no because a lot of times when I'm traveling, for example, I'm shooting and I just leave the camera running um, because I don't want to miss stuff and I don't want to hit record and not hit record and then realize that I actually didn't hit record and so on. And when I'm doing sort of, you know, talking in front of camera, like I'm doing a review, uh, almost always, I'd say 90% of the time, I'm talking to that camera for 45 minutes to get out, you know, 10 minutes of usable me talking. Somehow on the podcast, it's a little bit easier, but as you can tell, I 
I'm not as efficient on the podcast. You know, you know, there is a little bit of repeating that occasionally happens. I try to avoid that, but on video, you know, I try to make that more precise. It's a lot easier on video because I can cut things out and so on. So all of this said, I've been looking to get a new camera. I've been kind of shopping around and I know because of the pandemic, all of these electronics are delayed. So earlier in the year, so a couple of weeks ago, by early in the year, Canon came out with the R5 and the R6. Those are updates to the very, very, very popular R EOS, Canon EOS R, which was their flagship camera. It is a full frame camera. It shoots in 4K. Um, it's got really good color science, which means that the colors and the dynamic range that comes out of the camera are great on Canon. The autofocus is very snappy, unlike Panasonic, which I have, which is pretty, uh, pretty terrible. So you've got this Canon R5 that's come out, and that was the first to hit the market. And if you're shopping for a camera, I hope you didn't plunge into that because uh, a lot more came out. So looking at this, the camera is the EOS R5, mirrorless, Canon. All of these cameras are mirrorless because... Who I don't need a mirror. A mirror is basically gives you the viewfinder. So there's actually a mirror in the camera. It, the lens comes in through the light, hits the mirror, goes up, and you can look through the viewfinder. I never, ever, ever, ever used the viewfinder. Mirrorless cameras are smaller for travel. It's just, you know, for most people, ideal to go mirrorless if you're looking for a camera with interchangeable lenses. Now, the EOS R5 is $38.99 for the body alone. So, it's on sale, but it looks like the deliveries are slow right now. It's on back order. But if you're invested in the uh, Canon ecosystem, then this is probably a camera you want to look at. It's got 4K at 120 frames, up to 120 frames, 8K, 30 raw, 422, 10-bit recording. Uh, it's got a little bit of overheating issues, which have been somewhat corrected with a firmware update. But again, Canon um, has had some issues with the overheating when shooting in 4K for long videos with this. But overall, it's a pretty good, pretty good camera. You know, it's pretty good. Um, it does have a 30-minute record limit. And when the EOS R5 came out, it just blew everybody out of the water. This was the camera everybody was waiting for. If you want something that's a little less expensive, there's the EOS R6, which came out with the R5 which has a couple of reduced features, but it's still $2,500 for the body. So you've got those. And then and then Sony came out right after that with the Sony A7, I'll look that up, with the Sony A7S III. So the A7S III, which is an amazing camera. That's the Rolls-Royce of mirrorless cameras right now. It's $3498. And Sony always does this weird pricing thing where they minus a dollar. And I think when people sort by price, you know, they if they go from low to high, they go, you know, $3.99, $4.99, $5.99. But getting that $1 less, I think, gets them to the top of the search results, especially if you do it in reverse, going from low to high. Anyway, that is an amazing, amazing camera. That camera does everything. And for me, with Sony, because I've been looking at Sony, I've been wanting to switch to Sony. The main reason that I haven't done that yet uh, is because Sony didn't have a flip-out screen that would flip out to the side. So when I shoot videos, I need a screen that I can actually see myself when I'm recording so I can frame myself, make sure that I'm in frame. Again, I'm shooting myself a lot 
I have a feeling if you're listening to the podcast and you travel frequently, you are probably also filming yourself, photographing yourself often. If you're filming yourself, you definitely want a flip-out screen. Now, the Sonys do have a flip-out screen, but in the past, they would flip up. So that's an issue because the microphone, so I have an external microphone, and most people do, that goes on top of the camera. So when the screen flips up, it's literally just looking right into the microphone. You can't see it. What you need is a screen that flips out to the side. Sony finally came out with the camera that does that. Now, the Sony 34 $9,800 price tag for the body alone, lens is going to be a thousand bucks on top of that. If really, honestly, for a wide angle lens, uh, and that's looking at a third party lens. So you've got this price tag. And I don't know if I had mentioned it in the past, but what I do is when I purchase something, especially if it's for travel, which a lot of my you know big purchases are really, I tend to add three times the cost to that purchase. So I don't spend that money, but I budget out that amount. So I look at, let's say I spend you know $1,000 on a camera, let's say. I'll budget out three times that. So I'll say, all right, this camera is going to probably cost me 3000 Why? It could get stolen when I'm traveling. It could get lost when I'm traveling. The chance of me dropping it is pretty high. And I've dropped pretty much everything you can drop that I own. You know, you're changing lenses. You're on a boat. I don't know. You're walking around. Things happen. You know, they fall. They break. Traveling wears down your gear a lot. And again, you know, I look for the most durable things that I can find. But I, I think budgeting out extra uh, for your gear makes a lot of sense. So that way, you know, you know, if, if there's a mishap that you might have to rebuy that lens, you might have to rebuy that camera, you might have to rebuy that phone or those headphones or whatever it happens to be. So that's how I calculate, you know, my electronics travel budget. So uh, when it comes to that, you know, I try to get the most efficient thing I can, I can get. And with cameras, it's tricky. So if you're looking for a camera, you might be looking, oh man, this A Sony Alpha A7S, that's pretty great camera, but it's very expensive. And if you're budgeting three times, now you're looking at you know $10,000 setup. I don't know about you. When I'm traveling to a lot of the places that I'm traveling, you know, when I have my camera out, I'm just always like, there are some places where I've always wondered, like, you know, this thing is gonna get ripped out of my head. Someone's gonna mug me for this. Um, so then I try to go with a smaller camera on my phone, but you know, it's always kind of in the back of your mind. Um, so now that I've said all of that, all these amazing cameras have come out. Sony then came out with one camera that I think meets all of my needs, pretty much all of my needs. If you're looking for a camera, this might be the camera for you, especially if you do video. It's specifically geared toward people who make travel videos. This is the Sony a7C. It's basically the A7 III, which is a camera that came out about three years ago. So it's a little bit older in terms of the sensor and some of the technology inside has been updated and some hasn't. But let me get to the real specs for you, for you travelers, for you vloggers. Essentially, this is a very small camera. It is the smallest full frame camera. So it is full frame but it is the smallest one that exists on the market anywhere right now. It is about the size. It's smaller than the a7 III, smaller than that camera. It's a good size. I'd say it's, you know, it's like a lot of mirrorless cameras in, in terms of size right now. 
you know, in terms of micro four thirds camera, it's about that size. So it's a very small camera. If you, if you look at it, it just, you, you've got to look it up, but it's got this compact body, full frame. It's, it's got the Sony color science. So it's got those great Sony colors. It's got the full, I want to say it again, full frame, uh, which gives you wider angles. It gives you a shallower depth of field that you can get. So you want that nice blurry background when you take pictures, you can get that. You've got a small package. Sony came out and it also announced a new lens with it. Not the greatest lens for vlogging. It's a little bit too close up. It's a 28 to 60 millimeter, but it is an amazing lens. It's tiny. This thing does not look like what it costs. So if you get it with the lens, it's $2,200. If you get it with the body alone, it's $1,800. Again, you know, if you're not shooting a lot of photo, if you don't have a lot of experience shooting photos and videos and it's not your passion or it's not your profession, then I wouldn't recommend, you know, you probably are like, that's a crazy amount of money to give for that, that kind of thing. But in the camera world, in the lens world, you know, that's a pretty good price. Now, Sony could have priced this probably 1500 bucks is what I'm thinking. You know, that's, that's sort of what I'm thinking. The technology inside is a little bit older, but the form factor is amazing. You can get an off-brand lens, not a Sony lens. That's pretty wide angle. There's a Tamron 17 to 28, which is like eight, $900. Anyway, this camera really solves a lot of problems for people who travel. And it also opens up kind of the space we're getting into uh, now what with Apple is doing, we're getting a lot more portable, smaller, powerful electronics. Uh, the prices are creeping up though, um, which is the trade-off that I talked about earlier, but we're getting a lot of options. So before, when, you know, if you wanted something that was portable, you really had to give up a lot. If you wanted a smaller camera, for example, you had to give up the sensor size. You had to give up the lens quality. You had to give up a lot of things. You had to make these trade-offs to get portable. And GoPro just came out with the GoPro Hero 9, Black Hero 9, I think it's called. Uh, and it's a little bit bigger and heavier than previous GoPros. Its price has crept up. It's $500, and it's not the $400 price tag that you get typically with the GoPros, with the new GoPros. But it has a front-facing screen. Again, looking for that video vlogging crowd, people who video themselves. And whether you have a YouTube channel or not, you might have it. TikTok or whatever. You might just like videoing yourself and your family. You want those selfie shots. So GoPro has even realized, hey, if we make things just a tiny bit bigger or just keep it, you know, relatively the same size, but not tiny, we can really get in a lot of features that people are going to want to jump at. Now for me, I don't, I have the GoPro Hero 7, um, but I'm looking at that 9 just because I love the front facing screen. I just shot that PackSafe video um, yesterday, actually. And I use some GoPro shots to get the wider angle that I can't get with my camera. And trying to set those shots up was is frustrating always in general because I don't know where I am on the screen and I might record a whole bunch of stuff and then I'm not in the frame and then I've got to reshoot it and all that. And with GoPro, it makes even a bigger difference because the uh, the lens is so wide angle, it's so wide angle. It's, it's got this warping, this pronounced warping around the edges. So if you're just a little bit off center, then your one arm is going to be like twice as big as the other arm. It's going to just be a mess. So having the front facing screen like the DJI Osmo Action uh, is a nice touch. So what this means for all of you, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. We're not traveling right now, but this is good. It means 
the features that were once um, professional and ultra premium that were way expensive, that were larger, are now coming down in price, relatively speaking, and are getting a lot smaller. So those, those cameras that we can get, the phones that we can get, the power that we can put in these electronics is really hitting a sweet, sweet, sweet spot for travel. So I'm excited about that. Um, there's a little bit of a price creep that's going on. I think probably, you know, they designed these cameras, electronics years in advance. And um, I'm assuming that, that they would, you know, that these companies had been expecting that, you know, the, the world economy would just go on as it has been. They'd have, you know, people have a lot more disposable cash and they kind of creep the prices up with these new features. So it'll be interesting to see how many of these things actually sell. The Sony A7C is going, it's available for pre-order now, but I'm not pre-ordering it. I want to see some, uh, I want to get my hands on it first, do, do a review and then see how it is and get a couple of other people to test it as well. It'll start shipping in October. So that I might, I'm, I think I'm going to make the switch to, uh, to Sony, which is a pretty big switch for me, for somebody who takes a lot of videos. Um, and if you're looking for a camera, you've got a lot to choose from. I'd say, honestly, I'd wait until December. I, I would wait until December. We've got the Panasonic GH6. It has been rumored that it's probably going to be out by January. So that means that announcement is going to probably happen before. There might be some announcements at the virtual CES, although I've heard some uh, I've heard some chattering that potentially CES will be in person, but uh, I won't be there this year. So anyway, that's what's going on camera world. Very exciting time because the camera market has been kind of stale for a while. So um, if you're looking at stuff, if you're looking at shopping for a camera, this is a great time for you. All right, enough about that. So next in a minute, we're gonna talk about we're going to talk a little bit about what Apple is doing, a couple of uh, just quick notes on Apple and their new announcements earlier this week, right after this. All right, and I'm back. And speaking about companies that are doing some unexpected stuff, Apple has been just, what is going on? I like what you're doing there. We've got now the iPhone SE, which came out early in this year. We've got a budget iPhone option that's actually a legit, legit option for a budget phone that's got an amazing camera you're now in the apple ecosystem a lot going on there so that's fantastic we've got uh you know different colors of uh, macbook pros and macbook airs and that's that's nice all right that's a nice change uh, we've got now the apple watch se which just came out it doesn't have an oxygen sensor it doesn't have the ekg um, feature that you can get on the more expensive watches, but now you've got this budget lineup and Apple is really sort of expanding their, their lineup, which is great. And they're adding a lot more budget options. So they're expanding downward, which is a really great thing for a lot of people it really introduces people to the Apple ecosystem. So if you were watching or you missed the Apple announcement the other day, I again have been shopping for an iPad um, to update the iPad Air that I currently have. The battery life on the iPad Air 2 I still have is still pretty good. It's decent, but I'd like something that I can run sidecar with, which is used as an extra screen with my laptop, with my MacBook Pro. So, you know, I'd be kind of waiting on that. And if you're shopping for Apple things right now, it's probably a good idea to wait 
Um, if you're shopping for a phone, you definitely want to wait till the announcement next month. iPad, I hope you did not buy an iPad two weeks ago because the iPad Air now is like basically a mini iPad Pro. You can use the Apple Pencil on it. It's got the magnetic charger on the side. So you've got that. You've got the bezel-less screens, almost bezel-less. You got the screens that basically go edge to edge. You've got the new display. I mean, that new MacBook Air, I'm just looking at it right now, is amazing. Liquid Retina display, 10.9-inch uh, screen. It is incredible, and it's got an A14 Bionic. It is an iPad Air, when they first came out, was sort of an underpowered iPad. But now you've got this iPad Air, which sort of has really positioned itself to kind of push out the iPad Pro. Right now, unless you need a very big screen for your iPad, there's really no reason to get the iPad Pro. Honestly, the iPad Air is much better than the iPad Pro right now. I don't know why you would get an iPad Pro unless you really, really want like a 13-inch iPad screen. But at that price, you might as well just get a MacBook Pro or a MacBook Air or just something else. And it's really good if you're shopping around now. So again, you've got something that's a lot smaller. You've got a piece of tech that's a lot smaller, thinner, and a lot more powerful. You can actually... So if you've ever imagined that Star Trek future where we had all these powerful devices where we're traveling, we didn't have to make all these compromises you want. Before you had to get the iPad Pro uh, and with the, with the keyboard and it was powerful enough maybe to use as a laptop, maybe not, but it's expensive, it's large, it's bulky. Now you've got the iPad Air, which is the most sophisticated iPad that they've made. It is small, it is, you know, it is not large and you could, feasibly run, you could edit videos on it, you could read books, you can edit documents, there's a lot you can do on it now. It's actually a legitimate uh, laptop replacement for maybe short trips. Uh, it's probably not going to replace, especially if you're a heavy user, it's not going to replace that, but it's a good in-between. Let's say you take a short trip, a lot of us are taking road trips now, we don't want to take the laptop, you know, you're going to go somewhere for a couple hours, then you've got a, a basically like a portable computer with you. Um, so it's really interesting what's happening with Apple right now. I'm very interested to see where the company is going with their announcements. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what's coming up with the iPhone 12. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what they do with the AirPods 2. It'll be interesting to see if they're going to have SE versions of all of their gear. Imagine like a MacBook SE, you know, one that's like six, seven hundred dollars. Um, and and now you're looking at Apple just really raining down fire on a lot of other options. So they're, they're, that is something that is really changing sort of the electronics world very quietly with each new Apple announcement. So I just wanted to highlight highlight that there. Um, and now, now we should talk a little bit about travel. Let's see. First, do you want the good news first or the bad news? All right. Let me give you. Let me give you. Let me give you the bad news first. Let me give you some interesting news, and then let me give you some potentially good news, especially if you want to win fifty thousand dollars. All right. First, let's start with the bad news. This is from Yahoo Finance. Headline is: International travel could take until twenty twenty four to recover from COVID nineteen. Uh, let's see, the Centers for Disease Control in the United States 
uh, and the International Air Transportation Association says it will take at least three years for international airline travel to recover from COVID-19. Um, the regional VP for IATA, IATA, can I just say that? I did. All right, says it's very challenging right now. The forecast we have is about $84 billion collectively on a global scale in terms of losses. North American carriers are estimated to lose close to $24 billion this year after making $17 billion in 2019. And it says uh, airlines are reducing their capacity and destinations. What I found interesting was um, it said that the results of their surveys indicate that 65% of people who plan to travel in the next year, only 58% will go somewhere they can reach by car. Uh, and 54% said they will look to travel to less crowded areas. Um, and because of this, it says, you know, international travel is going to take a, a while to recover, a couple of years, actually. Um, and let's see, bad news for all the airlines, Del Delta, Southwest, they're talking about that. Um, but one thing that was really interesting here was that it said basically the airlines, most of them, the way they operate, is they only have a couple of months of, of basically of cash on hand. So uh, I'm trying to find the figure right here. So it says, quote, this is the worst time in our history. Most airlines have capital for about four to five months, no more than that. And that's coming from this article. So four to five months, we're, we're now past four to five months in terms of pandemic. Um, and it looks like second waves are happening uh, so there may be future restricted travel travel between Europe and the United States isn't happening right now. So it'll be very interesting to see how this all shapes up. But I do think, I, I tend to agree with this article that it's going to be a couple of years before things start to get normal and probably the end of 2021 before international travel looks remotely like it was earlier this year. So that's some of the bad news. All right. So, uh, now let's get that out of our brains with some interesting news. This is from CNN Travel. Why passenger jets could soon be flying in formation. Not flying information, flying in formation. So this is kind of interesting. It talks about basically birds are the undisputed masters of aerodynamics. And it talks about no matter how many supercomputers and wind tunnel scientists throw at solving flights, thorny calculations, they'll never match the perfection of airborne avians. All right, all right, whoever wrote this is being a little dramatic. Anyway, what this means is essentially we've all seen geese flying in their V formation. Turns out they fly in that formation not only for uh, status, so I guess, you know, the birds have a certain, the geese have a certain social status or whatever and they they take turns moving up and down and front when they're flying in formation but essentially that formation flying what it does is it allows the birds behind the leader so as they follow each other to follow in the wake of the other birds and it reduces the total amount of energy that they all spend and they've done tests on this and according to this article the geese have uh, lower heart rates when they're flying in formation meaning they're working less hard when they're flying in formation and it, it makes sense they've been evolved they've been flying for millions of years as this article notes so taking this on this is called the airlines are calling it airbus is calling it sorry fellow fly f-e-l-l-o apostrophe fly fellow fly 
I think it's probably fellow fly. I don't know. Why did they just come up with like a name that people can just understand? Anyway, it says, uh, let's go to what this could potentially do. So this is an industry collaboration with air traffic control, different airlines, Airbus is doing this. It says 5 to 10% fuel savings on long haul flights and significant emissions reductions. All right, that sounds like a little bit of jogging, but 5 to 10% of fuel savings. All right, that that's that's a pretty uh, interesting thing. And it says this is different than what the military would call formation flight. It's nothing to do with a close formation. It says Sandra Schaefer, CEO of Airbus, up next, interview with CNN uh, Travel. Uh, it says basically, I'm trying to explain both what I'm reading and what the images are showing here, but if you imagine an airplane in flight and the wings, and imagine the tip of the wings. Now, imagine pointing your fingers at each other, like take your index finger on your left hand and your right hand and kind of point them at each other, sort of like if you were just pointing at your nose, okay? Now, if you start to spin those in a spiral that gets bigger and bigger and bigger, if you, it, it kind of will give you the, the idea of what happens, what these vortexes are that appear on the side of wings when they fly. This happens with birds, this happens with airplanes. There's this vortex, that circular vortex that occurs on the side of planes. If you go to YouTube, uh, you can see those vortexes. And if you've flown in foggy or cloudy weather, you might be, you might have seen them. So this kind of the spiral effect that happens on the edge of the wings. So essentially what they're trying to, to do these using these wingtip vortexes, vortices, um, it says they've been known to flip smaller planes that have encountered them horizontally. So the, that's one of the reasons that there are these regulations as to how close planes can fly with each other. It says avoiding wake turbulence is a part of a student pilot's curriculum as it will be in the fellow fly demonstration. Pilots are trained not to fly into the vortex of the preceding aircraft, said Schaefer, experienced flight test engineer. So they will have one to one and a half to two nautical miles away. Let me describe kind of what they're doing. Plane one, lead plane, uh, is flying. Plane two will then be a thousand feet below it, and it'll be about a mile and a half to two miles behind plane one. That distance is safe enough to where the wake is not going to um, influence the craft in a way that's going to be dangerous or, or create, you know, some sort of wake turbulence. But it's just enough to provide lift to the plane behind. So taking advantage of this free lift in this updraft of air is called, quote, wake energy retrieval. Schaefer says, I'm sorry, Boer Schaefer, uh, Boer Schaefer is her name, sorry, Boer Schaefer says, the upcoming flight trials using A350s could prove on could prove that on long-haul flights, fuel savings between 5 and 10% may be achieved, which is an enormous number, quote, this is the reason we want to accelerate it. It's not a product today, but it's something we strongly believe in. Uh, it says um, birds have been doing this for millions of years, but the disadvantage we have is that we can't do controlled uh, experiments very easily, says Dr. Charles Bishop, School of Natural Sciences, Bangor University in Wales. Um, but he cited a landmark 2001 paper in a weekly international journal, Nature, by uh, Henry Weimerschkit. Uh, which says, 
The researcher and his team had access to tame pelicans, known in the birding community as the best formation flight. Hmm, tame pelicans, okay. Um, or even better, geese or swans. Their study is technically the only one we have that shows direct evidence of energetic advantage rather than theoretical calculations in aerodynamics. Um, they put heart rate monitors on these birds, which is super cute. I don't know why, just... You know, they got their little Fitbits on or whatever. It's it's kind of cute. Anyway, they had a 14% drop in heart rate, and they also glided more. They were finding it easier to fly with this aerodynamic advantage. So this might be something that we see in the future where planes fly a little bit closer to each other at a safe distance, but fly in a formation that makes it a little bit more aerodynamic and provides lift to the planes behind, which means an overall less consumption overall less consumption of fuel. So uh, I thought that was pretty interesting. Now to the moment you've all been waiting for. Um, fighters from around the world. Uh, sorry, that's, that's uh, I think that's, that's something else. Um, somebody else's catchphrase. Let's talk about $50,000 to travel around the U.S. exploring national parks. This is something that you can win and try right now. So what this is, is Michelob Ultra is paying people or will pay someone $50,000 to travel around the United States um, national parks for six months. So I will leave a link to this, how you can apply in the description of the show notes um, if you want to check that out. But essentially what they did was earlier this week, they launched uh, Pure Gold, they're calling it, uh, in a search for their new CEO, which is the Chief Exploration Officer. The new gig comes with some majorly, seriously major perks, according to this article, which says a $50,000 paycheck and the chance to travel across the United States and explore the most beautiful national parks. For the gig, the company explained in a statement, Pure Gold CEO will get to travel in style in a state-of-the-art van provided by the company, along with gas, money, and plenty of beer for their days off. Uh, the new hire will even get to bring a plus one, so they never get lonely. Um, it says the new hire will spend six months on the road and get paid to explore iconic U.S. national parks and other beautiful sites across the country in a partnership with the National Parks Foundation. In exchange for the title, the van, and all the fun, the CEO is expected to pursue a nomadic lifestyle where he or she spends their days connecting with nature, snapping content for us, and living vicariously so we can all live vicariously through them along the way. All the content from the new hire will be collected and shared on Michelob Ultra's social media feeds as they traverse the nation. So applying is easy. It's very easy to do. You need to be 21 years of old. Are you 21 years of old? Are you 21 years old? Can you speak in full sentences? Uh, are you 21 years of age? Okay, great. Do you love nature? Do you love photography? Also great. Then all you have to do is go to MichelobUltra.com slash CEO and fill out the job application. Like I said, I'm going to leave a link to that in the show notes so you can check it out. I may or may not have applied myself because that sounds like something that's pretty cool to do. Um, all you have to do is submit basically your name, age, whether you have experience driving an RV or not, um, and your social media handles, what those might be. And you've got, I think, 500 words. 500 characters to explain, quote, your story. So essentially, you just need to, you know, write like a couple of lines about who you are and why you want the gig. 
And then there you go. It's that simple. It's really easy to, to apply. Um, good luck to all of you. I mean, I guess you'd have to be in the United States. Obviously, it seems like a, seems like kind of a no-brainer re requirement. But uh, uh, I think that's a pretty cool gig. And uh, why not, right? We can't really fly. We just talked about how there's no international travel. The, the people aren't flying and so on. So why not take uh, a van trip? around the United States. Um, so good luck. I hope you enter. I have some potential road trips coming up as well. Um, so there will be some travel back on this channel again soon. Um, this was Tech Tech Tech. Thanks very much for listening to this episode of the Fox Nomad podcast. Um, I've got a bonus episode, like I said, coming up uh, in a couple of days. So uh, the podcast schedule is every other Friday. So we got the episodes coming out every other Friday. But I think, um, especially now, now it's a very sort of active season with tech and with travel, that there might be these bonus episodes. And I hope you don't mind. You'll just get more podcast episodes, more things to listen to, whether you're going to work in your underwear in your living room or going to walk around an isolated park with the mask on. Anyway, wherever and whenever you listen to podcasts, there's going to be a couple of extra episodes with a couple of extra guests. If you're listening to the podcast right now and you're interested in being a guest, um, if you're interested in science, if you've got a science background, maybe a medical background, maybe a tech background, maybe you're just a really awesome person that has some great stories, feel free to hit me up at Twitter on Fox. Hit me up at Twitter at Fox Nomad. Let me know if you want to maybe get in touch and maybe you'll be a guest on the podcast as well. Anyway, thank you again very much for listening. Good luck in winning $50,000. Hopefully you get that and you get to travel around. Thanks again and I'll talk to you in the next episode.